0: 5280 Church Podcast, because everyone needs more hope, genuine community, and a clearer picture of God's love. Hi there, and welcome into 5280 Church Podcast. 5280 Church exists for those searching to know God. Whether you are a longtime churchgoer or spiritually frustrated and homeless, We strive to create a safe space where you can come, interact with others on the same journey, and ask the tough questions. At 5280 Church, we believe that Jesus is the ultimate personification of God, but we encourage everyone to be in their own process of seeking, finding, and knowing God. No judgment, no exceptions. You can join our community at our website, 5280church.com, or on Facebook at 5280church. Each Sunday, we broadcast a portion of our service on Facebook Live to give you a taste of what your experience will be, and so you can meet some friendly faces. Tune in and interact with our host, asking your questions and digging deep into all things spiritual. In this series, Hashtag Blessed, we are taking a close look at the beginning of Matthew chapter 5, a section commonly known as the Beatitudes. In this passage, Jesus declares a blessing over several categories of people, However, his choice of people groups is interesting. It seems he wants to write a script that flips our preconceived notions on its head. It's the poor, the weak, and the nonviolent that appear to receive Jesus's stamp of approval. What are we to make of this? And what does it actually mean to be blessed? Jump in with us as we seek to find the truth behind Jesus's famous mountaintop address. And without further ado, hashtag blessed.
1: Everyone, hey, if you have a Bible with you this morning, go ahead and find Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, Matthew 5, 9. Uh, we're continuing our series called Hashtag Blessed and looking at unlikely places that we find God's blessing. Uh, it's been kind of surprising so far as we've looked at our series that the idea of coming to God with nothing to offer is actually a position of blessing uh, to realize that no matter what circumstances we face, uh, that God promises to comfort us in the midst of our mourning. Uh, the idea of God's incredible power God deals with us and the way we deal with other people with God's power in our life. The idea of being able to be truly satisfied by everything that he is and everything that he desires for us is another powerful truth. And then we, we talked last week uh, about the idea of being able to see God in any and every circumstance and situation, which would be an incredible gift. And God says that we can have that blessing regardless of circumstances based on being pure in heart. And so this week, we're coming to a very powerful blessing that we all need because conflict is a real part of our life, it's a part of our families, it's a part of our world, and nothing, um, you know, uh, in our culture right now, looking out more than for peace. That is the greatest desire that I think that we're all looking for. Because we're at war with our own identities, guilt, circumstances, we're at war with each other. The planet, in many ways, and our own sense of worth, and all of these, this sense of uh, conflict in our life wears us down. It wears people down that are around us. It wears down our communities, and it just erupts, it seems, in violence. And there is a true and real cry for peace, not just the passive kind where we remove the opposition that's in our life, but really the voice that can come in and heal opposition. Because that's what Jesus really offers us. It's not a fake peace. It's the kind of peace where we sense God's presence in the midst of conflict and we actually see the conflict change. Wouldn't you like that today? The Bible says that we can have that. He gives us a promise, actually, that we could actually be agents in being able to bring that peace to the world which is really incredible. We see this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. It says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Notice that Jesus doesn't use the word peaceful. Blessed are the peaceful, for they shall be called sons of God. Peaceful, dead people are peaceful. Sleeping children, they're peaceful. Um, peaceful is kind of a relative term. It kind of removes you from existence and it really doesn't bring any hope to anybody else. It's like, I found my peace and that's okay. And that's really where spiritualism begins to break down. And we just say, well, you know, if I find my own peace and I live in my own little peace bubble and then everybody else finds their own peace bubble, then we will have a peaceful, bubbled world. And that's not really true because we know that we face all kinds of conflicts outside of ourselves and isolation is never healthy for anybody. For that to happen, isolation has to be a part of your life, which isn't peaceful at all. You know, But then we think about entering into community and everybody's different points of view and different feelings and emotions, good days, bad days, and that doesn't feel very peaceful at all either. But the kind of peace Jesus is talking about here are people that have found peace and can take that peace and bring it to the world around them to bring more peace. You ever been around somebody that you know is, it can make peace? I mean, they can just come into a tense room, everything's falling apart, and they can come in and all of a sudden it just kind of quiet, quiets down. You ever been around somebody like that? We've kind of been around the other end of the extreme, right? A person comes in a room, and it's just agitating. It's annoying, and it just goes through the roof. It's not very peaceful at all. The Bible says that we can have the kind of presence where we can enter into the room of conflict, enter into an area of conflict, and we can actually bring His peace. An and advocate for His, and when we found peace and we learned to bring that peace, we become peacemakers. We're in, an, an advocate for His peace, and we are a presence of His peace in the midst of conflict. The Bible says that we shall be called sons of God. In other words, they will look us at us and say, "You're just like your father." Man, I wish <laughs> that that was the true testimony of Christianity right now, but it doesn't seem to be that. And so there's a real need for us to grab a hold of this idea of God's peace. And so as we think about being a peacemaker today, we have to understand God's peace. And I want to give you five essentials for making peace in your life. Five essentials for making peace in your life. The first one is being at peace with God. It starts there. If you're not at peace with God then you haven't found peace of God and you, any other promise of God's peace is not yours. You have to be at peace with God. In other words, you have to be able to look him in the eye and feel at peace, feel you know, connected, feel you know, loved and alive to him. And this is the promise of Christianity, right? This is what poor in spirit means, because we can approach God in one of two ways. We can come to him saying, God, I've done this, I've done that, I've accomplished this, and I'm still at odds, and I still don't feel this rest, and I've done all these things for you. And that keeps all of the commands, falls on his feet, and says, God, what must I do to have eternal life? He's like, I'm still doing these things, and it feels completely empty. There's no peace. Jesus is like, man, sell it all. Give it all up. Let go of all of your effort and just come to me. And I will give it to you. And what God is basically saying is quit putting things in between you and me. That's sin. Sin is rebellion against God and selfishness towards other and is highly offensive to God. It puts something in your relationship with him that keeps you from experiencing him. It doesn't change the fact that he's an active presence in your life. change the fact that he desires you. It doesn't change the fact that he wants to be an active presence in your life. What it does is it prevents you from experiencing that love, that desire, and that presence. This is why Jesus died on the cross to remove those obstacles for you, to show you that even when you can't do it, even when you don't want to do it, that his grace can go the distance and meet you where you are. God desires peace with you. Do you desire peace with him? And it's a simple choice of saying, God, I don't want any barriers between me and you. Some of us that have been walking with Jesus for a while, we understand that. We can think of times in our life where we're, where, you know, things were going really well in our relationship, and then we can think of times where we're, we're having sin, and we're harboring sin, and we're holding that rebellion. And the last thing we want to do is talk about God. The last thing we want to do is be around God. The last thing we want to be reminded of is God. And the last place we want to be is around the people of God. Right? Because there's a conflict. And the very things that God has given us as a gift to take away that conflict are the very things that we avoid. You need to realize this. And the Christians who live in the faith community need to really watch. We need to watch ourselves with this. God. things somebody who is far from God needs to hear from us is that they're far from God. It just reminds them of the guilt. They're already wondering if God can forgive. They're already wondering if God will embrace. They're already wondering if God cares. And we come in there with the slightest little criticism, and it amplifies their greatest fear, and it keeps them from God. The problem is, is that it's a complete distortion of the gospel. The good news is is that God has settled his anger over sin and its effect in your life, and the effect on him, and the effect over the world. God has settled that with the cross. There is no anger hidden. There is no anger coming. There is no judgment. There is no condemnation for those that have come to God, poor in spirit, saying, God, I want to be at peace with you. This is spiritual Healing. This is the healing that the world needs more than anything. Because, see, spiritual healing isn't something that you do. It's not like, well, if I just eat better, I will feel better. If I go to church, I will be better. No. Healing is one of those things where God had a Band-Aid on it. In Isaiah, right, he says, by his stripes we are healed. It's not putting a Band-Aid on it. And hoping for it to not leave a bad scar is giving you a complete new life and existence. No scar. He carries the scars. This is what God promises us at the cross. Healing. Peace with him. Always being able to run to the throne of grace with confidence. We see this in, in 1 Corinthians, 1, or not 1 Corinthians, Colossians 1, 19-22. Listen to what it says. For it was by God's own decision, listen to this, God's own decision that the son has in himself the full nature of God. That God through the son then God decided to bring the whole is what he's saying there. Through the son then God decided to bring the whole universe back to himself. So God has made a decision. I'm going to come down there. I'm going to show them who God is, and my decision is to bring the entire universe, not just, you know, people, but all of creation back to myself. And God made peace through his son's blood on the cross and so brought back to himself all things, both on earth and in heaven. And at one time you were far away from God and you were his enemies because of the evil things that you did and thought. But now, by means of the physical death of his son, God has made you his friends in order to bring you holy pure and faultless, (laughs) to bring you, and then he gives you these three adjectives to describe you. If you believe in Jesus, these three adjectives describe you. This is how God sees you, holy, pure, and faultless into his presence. God chose to end the war between you and him over your rebellion and selfishness. There is no score to settle. There's no price to pay. Spiritual healing. Second, and let him rule your life. Spiritual healing. Second, essential that's needed for making peace is now that we've become aware of the peace of God, we're at peace with God. The second essential is having the peace of God. Now this is really important because when we receive Jesus, the Bible teaches us that he dwells in us. We become alive spiritually. How does that happen? The Holy Spirit comes in and he breathes his spiritual life in us. So God's presence, his character and his nature, the things that we're supposed to reflect but we don't do very well actually become possible because we're alive spiritually. The part in us that needs to be revived to obey God, to listen to God, to follow God, happens when God takes residence within us. We become a new being. We're healed and we actually gain the presence of God in our life. And what comes with God's presence? Every blessing, character, and attribute of God that we were supposed to mimic. So God brings love. God brings grace. He brings forgiveness. He brings hope. He brings peace. He brings all of these things with himself and it resides within you. Think about that for a second. Because so many of us are fighting for peace, we're searching for peace, we're looking for peace, we're hoping for peace by circumstances when it's right inside of us. It's a subtle change of perspective. We're, look, we're looking for it. It exists within us. And if we start looking there, we start listening to him, we start sensing his presence. And his presence is peaceful. It's the peace of God. It belongs to Him. It's tied to Him. It's not something that is detached from Him that He gives you like a birthday present. It belongs to Him as part of His character and nature and it comes with Him. It's in you. So the question becomes how do I connect? With God, because the closer I connect with God, the deeper I'm walking with God, the more that I trust and love Him and follow Him and hear His voice, the more He begins to shine out of my life. As I lose myself, I find Him. This is what the Bible teaches. We see this in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 7. It says, don't be anxious about anything, right? So you're looking at the world around you. I'm anxious about my money. I'm anxious about my job. I'm anxious about my kids. I'm anxious about the environment. I'm anxious about racism. I'm anxious about identity. These are all real pressures that weigh us down. They rob us of health. They perpetuate depression. They eat us alive from the inside out. This is a real, real deal, And I don't know why churches minimize this experience. It's just frustrating. But in everything. And God's saying, listen, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything. (laughs) Stop for a second. That's very different than the typical spiritual advice we get. People come to a pastor, we say, I am anxious, and the pastor's like, you just don't have enough faith. If you had enough faith, you wouldn't be anxious. That's not what the Bible's teaching right here. It says, don't be anxious about anything, be anxious about everything in prayer. What is he saying? Come to me with your emptiness. Come to me at the end of yourself because it's the peace of God that you want. You have to push through your darkness. You have to come to him in your brokenness. He doesn't ask you to ignore it. He doesn't ask for you to clean it up and push it out of your life before you approach him. He's like, come to me with everything. Which means I want every part of you, no matter where you are. That's so different, right? Because we think we gotta church ourselves up in order for God to want us. But he's saying, Be anxious about everything and come to me with everything in prayer. Talk to me about this because I want to listen. I want to hear, I want to care, and I want to give you a great exchange. I want you to lay these down at my feet so that I can give you myself, which means peace. Do not be anxious about anything but in everything by prayer and supplication. Talk to God about it and ask Him for help. That's what supplication means. With thanksgiving, being thankful, knowing that God cares. That's where belief comes in. If you believe that God is harsh and cruel, you're not believing in the real God. You've created something that does not exist. Come to Him with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to Him and the peace of God, right? He's just saying, Vent to me, and what's the promise? And the peace of God. Which surpasses all understanding, doesn't make sense, doesn't add up, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Hence, they come and believe in me enough. He's like, just come and trust me enough with your problems and the peace of God. In the same breath, it's coming because I'm there. See, we need the peace of God. Because see, we can't give something away. We can't make peace. We can't make peace with ourselves. We can't make peace with our our families. We can't make peace at work. We can't make peace in our community unless we first have received peace. And the Bible says that once we come to God and make peace with him because of what he's done on the cross and that's what we're trusting in, not our behavior, and the Bible says just simply come to him every day no matter where we are, The Bible says that he will give us himself. He will continue to entrust himself. No walls, no barriers, no hoops, no to-do lists. Just come to me right where you are, and I will take you right where you are, and I will give you myself. I will entrust myself to you. And with that comes peace. We see the same idea In John chapter 14, verse 27, Jesus is about to be crucified. They just had this picture of the Lord's Supper talking about, hey, here's what's about to happen. I'm going to be ripped apart, and the bread symbolizes my body being pierced, and and the wine symbolizes a promise of of my blood and the covenant that I will never leave you or forsake you, that I love you, that I'll forgive you, that you're mine for all eternity, and that I will work to renew you. And then he goes on, he says, it's going to get difficult for you. He begins this chapter with saying, don't let your hearts be troubled. And then he comes down here in verse 27 and he says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Peace I leave with you. And then you're saying, okay, well, it's, it's something that's you know, separated from God himself. It's this tangible item that you pick up at the store. God said, no, my peace I give to you. Peace I leave with you because I'm giving you myself. Not as the world gives. How does the world give? Step up. And you'll receive. You name one thing in Western culture that does not demand you perform before you receive. God says, I don't play that game. I give and don't ask you to perform at all. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. God promises us peace. Third essential for making peace is that we have to extend peace to others. So not only do we need peace with God and the peace of God, now it's time to give that peace to somebody else. It's extending peace to others. This is relational healing, I don't know about you, but my wife and I have arguments. Lots of them sometimes. Most of the time, we're not even mad at, our, at each other. We're just mad at life. Circumstances stink. And we're just wanting to vent, and we're wanting the conflict to go away, and in a retarded manner, we pick a fight with each other. It's nuts. And about 10 minutes into it, you're saying, why are we fighting? And then an hour later, it's like, what in the world was that all about, right? Maybe it's just me. Kids, oh man, fights with kids. The littlest one in our house, she's got her dad's tenacity. That's a big problem. Um, <laughs> this is a big, big problem. And she wins, which means I'm getting old. <laughs> but you know, conflict is is inevitable. How do you end conflict? It's being at peace with God. It's having the peace of God, being able to give away something that you don't readily have that's available to you. It's digging beyond yourself. Extending peace to others is where we heal relationally. Where do we see this? Well, we see this in the book of James chapter 3, verses 16 and following, it says, where there is jealousy and selfishness, right, sin, there is also disorder and every kind of evil, right? When our sovereignty gets challenged, things bump up against us, we wanted things to go and we get angry because our life say, that's selfishness. When it's like things are going well for somebody else and we get angry because our life stinks, that's jealousy, these things play out. They play out in our marriages, they play out in our friendships, they play out in our work environment, they play out in our families, they play out in the world. There's every disorder and every kind of evil, no opportunity of rest. But the wisdom from above is pure, first of all, and it's also peaceful. So, in other words, we gotta look outside of ourselves, right? So that's referring back to the peace of God, and that wisdom is peaceful. And it's gentle, and it's friendly, and it's full of compassion, and it produces a harvest of good deeds. You want to know how to have a happy marriage? You want to know how to get your kids to to follow and respect you? Ultimately, to follow and respect Jesus, be at peace with God. Have the peace of God, and share with them how to have that peace. That's a lot different than trying to fix somebody's problems. Most of my conflict in my family comes up because I'm trying to fix everybody's problems. I can't fix my wife's problems. The wife's problems are dealt with at work. She's understaffed. The company is struggling financially. She's trying to keep a whole team and staff together. I can't fix that. So coming in there and telling her how she should think and feel is a really poor thing for me to do and it doesn't actually bring peace, it brings conflict. Why? Because I'm asking for her to dig into herself and to bring peace. I'm asking her to do what she can't do, what no human being can do. What would be a better response? It's like, baby, I know you're struggling and I know you don't have the energy to pray what you know that you want to pray. Can I just pray for you? Can I live in a way that Jesus would live so that you can approach me the way you would approach God with all your anxiety and just know that God is the one that brings peace and I'm just here to listen? The Bible says that brings all kinds of good, it produces a harvest of good. Same thing with your kids, same thing with your coworkers. You can retaliate, you can fight, you can draw the battle lines, you can choose to respond to the argument, and ultimately, the best thing you could do is intercede for that person. If they're a believer, intercede with them. If they're an unbeliever, intercede for them. Pray the prayers that they should be praying for themselves. And imagine yourself as someone who has to, at some point, get the opportunity to point them to Jesus to experience his peace. Jesus to them. That's very different. Show them how you find it by the very conflict that they have raised in your life. It's more than rules and boundaries and respect. It's about healing. And this is what God wants to do in our life. It produces a harvest of good deeds. It is Free from prejudice and hypocrisy, and goodness is a harvest that is produced from the seeds the peacemakers plant in peace. You may not be able to control the circumstances, but you can control your response. The fourth essential is this: It's being at peace with ourselves. See, what happens is is when we run up against stressful situations, it pushes back against us, right? It challenges our identity. It challenges our desires. It's like all of a sudden things happen in our life and we come down and say, well, man, it's because I'm a bad person. I'm a horrible person. Sometimes you do things and it brings about consequences in your life. And that's the end of the sentence, Because in Christ, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But see, we take it a step further. If then these really bad things and these consequences are in my life. I'm a horrible person, and therefore I can't be loved, appreciated, or have any sense of worth. And really what you're saying by doing that is you're expecting other people to validate you and tell you that that's not true. And that's a manipulative relationship. If that's the way you exist at work... You're gonna have a very dysfunctional relationship at work. If that's the way you approach your spouse and expect them to fix you, they can't fix you. You're asking them to do something that's impossible. You expect your kids to live perfect so you look like a good parent and you feel good about your parenting. That is a sin that, that you're like me and in me you will be your identity. Your identity is tied to Jesus, and Jesus says that you're like me, and in me you will become like me again. You have infinite worth right where you are and I will show you your incredible worth by transforming you. He doesn't hold your worth based on how well you're transformed. He gives you your worth where you are. And then he proves to you that you are worthy of that because he renews you into the image that he created you to be. He's helping you to see who you really are what he has always seen and known to be true about you. Not the distortions and the lies that you settle for that lead to rebellion and sin. This is how God does not condemn you. Because in order for God to condemn you, he has to condemn himself. But he looks at your behavior and he says, listen, yeah, that stinks and that hurt and that hurt you and it hurt people around you. But that's not the end. That's not who you are. That's not who you're going to be. and that's not what I want for you. Do you see the difference? It makes peace even when you're the enemy. It calms heart, angry, frustrated, burdened heart. you suddenly have nothing to prove, nothing to earn, nothing to deserve. This is the good news. (laughs) It's not just having peace with God through the cross. It's knowing that the peace of God resides in you because he resides in you. It's giving that peace away Because other people's opinions of you and their sin against you doesn't define you. And your own sin, peace with themself, you're at peace with yourself. Somebody who is not at peace with himself has no opportunity to give peace to other people, does not understand the peace of God and may not have peace with God because they're not a believer. It's essential for us to have these. We see this in the book of 1 John. So we have come to know and to believe. Notice that. The language is we have come to know. It's not like instant revelation. It's progressive. I've stepped in it. I've trusted it. And through experience, I've come to know and to believe. Not just know, but to base my life on it, to live in this, through this lens, to see myself and the world through this lens. I have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. The most basic fundamental truth that's been beat into our heads, I have come to know and believe through journeying, through hardship, through conflict, through peace. I have come to know and believe the love that God has for us. God is love, in fact. And whoever abides in love abides in God. So if we abide in that love, we're going to find God. And if we find God, we're going to find that love. And God's love is going to abide in him. That's what he's basically saying. The love abides in God, and God abides in him. So God, so that we, by this is love perfected with us. So that we may have confidence on the day of judgment. How is love perfected in us? By abiding in God. Connecting with God. Dwelling with God. What does that produce in us? This perfection and confidence for the day of judgment. Because As he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love Because he first loved us. There is no fear in love. Why? Because fear has to do with judgment. Somebody who has found peace with God realizes that there's no judgment. And then because there's no judgment, they're able to receive the love of God. They're able to be at peace with themselves. And they're able to be at peace with other people when they sin against them. They're able to be at peace with God knowing that whatever circumstances are going on around them, that God is there. And their number one desire is just to be with him, to be in his presence, to experience him peace, love, grace, forgiveness, joy, everything that belongs to him suddenly becomes ours because we're dwelling with him. Not because we're mustering it up. Not because we're trying hard. Not because we're putting the to-do list in the practice. Dwelling with God brings us perfection. And the number one thing that it takes away is fear. They're not afraid of the smackdown. They're not afraid of a harsh God. They don't see him that way. They don't fear that they're going to miss God. They don't fear that God's going to withhold any blessing from them. They've taken it away because they know that they're at peace with God and that peace transcends them and transforms them and and transcends their existence and transforms their existence. They make peace because they have his peace. They're settled. They're at rest. The circumstances that come in their life isn't seen as a correction from God. The refrigerator breaking isn't breaking isn't a condemnation that they haven't given enough to the local church. There's no fear. No fear. Just peace. We see this in Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Now that we have been put right with God through faith, through faith, not actions, not deeds, not being churched up, we've been put right with God through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And he has brought us by faith into this experience of God's grace in which we now live. And so we boast of the hope we have of sharing God's glory. In other words, God gives us peace and he brings that experience of peace about in our life as we trust him. 50 Central is this, embracing the cause of peace. This is where we look at a broken world and we start to feel that tension again, right? We start to see the unrest of racism and prejudice and hypocrisy. We start to see the brokenness in other people's lives and how it affects us and others around us, and it creates unrest in us. We have to take what God has given us, not just extend it to him, but embrace the cause of peace. And what is the cause of peace? It's helping people see Jesus. This is evangelism. It's just telling people what you've found through your relationship with Jesus. It's not a nifty little outline. It's not a sales pitch. It's not shutting down every opposition and, 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 and challenge to the gospel. Those things are okay to know, but the real power is pointing people to Jesus. Here's what I've found in Jesus. Here's how I receive and introduce them to me as I follow Jesus and introduce them to the beauty of that. That's what God wants. That's what the disciples did. Not everybody wants to play ball, but a lot of people do. This is why people are so interested in Jesus and so disinterested with church. Because most of what we do in the church never equips, never draws, never leads us into relationship with him. It's knowledge, it's information, it's an outline. It's about seeing him. Of Second Corinthians, he said about all the blessings of God that were talked about in the book of Second Corinthians. He says, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled, ended the conflict, made up the difference, paid the debt, reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. In other words, he wants us to be a part of it. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. That's the message. God wants to end a conflict. He wants to end your prejudice. He wants to end your hypocrisy. He wants to end your struggle. He wants to end your bitterness. He wants to end your unforgiveness. He wants to end your pain and suffering that has been inflicted upon you by other people's sins. He wants to bring an end to that conflict. that is in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation therefore we are ambassadors we live in a country that does not understand who our leader is and we're there to represent him to entreat people to build relations so that they would understand the beauty of our leader that's an ambassador We are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. As we walk with God, God appeals to other people and offers them the same. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Don't let there be any conflict. Let there be peace so that peace of God can be there and you can extend that peace and you can be at peace yourself and you can be about bringing the world this peace. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin that in him we might become the righteousness of God or all that is good, pure, and holy. So, see peace is something that comes to God from God and it's essentially his presence in the midst of conflict. In this life, we're not going to have the kind of peace that we all desire. In heaven, there will be no conflict. There will be no tears, there will be no belittling, hypocrisy, racism, judgment, pain, suffering, death, struggle, fear, doubt. It all goes away. That's in eternity. That's where we're heading. But on earth, because what we're experiencing in heaven is his presence, God offers us that presence here on earth and we can experience that and share that and point to that beautiful picture. And when we embrace that cause, it's not just our lives that change. It's how our families, our friends, our communities, our nations are changed.